0: To the end zone is pulled in for the touchdown. Quatoriano, a little scrambling, eyes downfield, throws and it is caught for the touchdown by Chris Moore.
1: And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up for What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British It's Friday after Thursday night football. It promised to be a massacre, but it was in the end a gutsy competitive performance by the Texans. But they fall to 1-6-1. and one. Uh, But this week we're joined to work through it by a first-time guest of 790, uh, Ross Villarreal. Ross, how are you doing? Uh, pretty good, all things
0: considered. Yeah, it could have gone... Uh, didn't go the way a lot of people thought it was going to go. They did battle some, but still came away with the loss, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I think it was...
1: Overall, I mean... I suppose when you go up against the undefeated team, you have probably, what arguably one of the worst performances in franchise history on Sunday against the Titans, coming in it's a 13.5 point spread. To cover that against the league's only undefeated team, is there some solace in that?
0: I I would think so. I don't know if you ask the players and you ask Lovey Smith if, if they feel like that because of course you're in the NFL. You want to win every single game that's in front of you. But I mean, yeah, it, you, there was every reason for the Texans to not even show up. I mean, you already were going to be have your backs against the wall because of how bad you were last week. You're having one of the an undefeated. Great team coming to town. You're also having the Astros are playing, so there's not going to be a lot of eyeballs. And from people that I heard were in the stands, there were, uh, I mean, uh, just about as many Eagles fans, if not more, in that place than there were Texans fans. So you have at that point every excuse to give up, to not show up, to not play hard. You come out, you get a touchdown. You're playing them tough. You're supposed to get trounced. Everybody, myself included. I mean, I thought they were going to lose by 21 plus, just because you you have an inferior uh, offensive and defensive line matchups skill positions quarterback basically everything except for what you of course the crown jewel of the Texans and Damian Pierce you are you, you just check you go through and check all the boxes like they do basically almost every check mark went to the Eagles and, and you showed up and you played well you didn't get a victory but maybe a, a little bit of a silver lining in that that you at least hung with them for as long as you did
1: yeah no i think so um, where where were you when you were watching the game Uh, I
0: was watching, I was at home uh, watching the Astros and the Texans. I had them both on at the same time. Um, So, uh, and then I went and watched more of like the extended highlights of the Texans game because of course I was focused, but the good thing actually about baseball is like nothing happens for like 40 seconds and you (laughs) can just, like, all right, there was a pitch. Now I can watch the Texans game. So, all right, there's another pitch. I can watch the Texans game for a second. So kind of bas- football is that way too with the 40-second time clock. But either way, I feel like it's not the worst way to watch both. Like if it's a basketball game, you have to actively be watching every second. But I, I, if you're baseball and football, I feel like you can kind of watch both and, and keep an eye on what's going on.
1: Yeah, I was flicking between the two. Um, and, the, I mean, to digress. But, yeah, the Astros, great result. Yeah. Um, been a couple of games when I've been over there but I think the yeah it was just tense as hell and it was the kind of the opposite to be honest because I thought although it was a good we'll go into some more of the detail but I thought at times you know the score got close just but as we've done against teams that are quite clearly you know far more talent and superiority on both sides of the ball you never really felt like they were in any danger of maybe potentially getting a result um you always felt that there was an extra gear that the Eagles had they probably didn't even get into um in all fairness. But yeah, the Astros, complete opposite, tense, um, and they bring it back to Houston with two chances to go and win it. So yeah, pretty good time for some of the pro sport elements of Houston anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, Rockets and Texans struggling a little bit, but at least we have the Astros here in Houston.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think hopefully, um, by the time you listen to this, they may be World Series champion, and we're sitting here on Friday. Um, but... In terms of some of the just some of the small margins that you look at back in the team, what did you think of those kind of questionable calls early? You had the missed false start, Lane Johnson. You know, I think he was about three three of your average man steps uh, off the ball by the time it was actually snapped. You had uh, Kelsey dragging the uh, I think it was it was either I think it was Sanders by by the helmet, which you know literally they put a video around the league um that week. Um no flag. There was a couple of other questionable ones as well that escaped me right now. But yeah, what did you think of the officiating? I think you know obviously Texans got a kind of really soft, rough in the passer call later on, but um seemed a little bit flag happy. But I mean the Texas again, worst enemy, bad false starts, bad flags at bad bad times on the offense. Um Jalen Petrie first first uh, passing uh, play of the game Fly, fly for pass interference. So felt they were re- relatively flag happy on prime time, but a couple of those calls earlier you felt uh, takes me out of a chance on another night to, to get one going their way.
0: Yeah, that's just I mean, the nature of the sport, unfortunately, and and that's just every there's just going to be officials who sometimes they're going to miss calls. It's not like they're actively trying to, to, to throw the game or anything like that, but especially like we talked about where you already know the other teams more talented, you already have your backs against the wall, a little bit tough to get those, especially when in a lot of those coming in the first half when you are keeping close with them and the margins are so thin in any any given NFL game one play or one bad call can just turn the whole result on its head. So definitely unfortunate, but still at the end of the day, when those go against you, you've got to make, uh, you have opportunities to to make some plays and try to get some wins.
1: Yeah. And I think when I reflected back on the game today, I think, you know, when you, when you looked at it, you know, the Texans got, you know, in big moments had chances handed to them, but failed to capitalize and build momentum in their favor. And I think that's been a consistent theme this year, because when you saw in the Eagles after the first turnover, um, uh, Garner Johnson quick score, two quick scores, and then the game was almost done as a contest at that point. It certainly felt like out of reach without some sort of kind of <coughs> intervention. And you know, this team's got to win the turnover battle, but they've got to capitalize when they when they do get turnovers. So the fumble straight after, they go three and out. The two sacks by Jerry Hughes in three plays start the second half. Get the ball back. Three and out. They win the challenge. Lovey Smith, you know, rightly challenges Sanders' knee was down. Forced the punt, throw an interception. So you know there was three big swings here um, throughout the game that you know they just didn't convert to, to enough points or, or any points. So it's uh, when you get the ball like that, considering the, the golf and talent against teams like the Eagles and quite a number of these teams will play throughout Kansas City, etc. Um, they've got to capitalise, and I think that's yeah. a consistent theme they keep failing to do. Yeah, that that's
0: absolutely part of the formula. When you have a team that's better than you, when you're two touchdown dogs, how are you going to win those games? You're going to make some special plays, you're going to make you're going to capitalize on turnovers. You're going to hopefully limit your own uh penalties. You're going to have to do every little thing right. The margin for error for the more talented team obviously is going to be bigger than yours. And, and you're absolutely right. They there were had opportunities. Where you say, okay, this looks like the the window is open, but a, a lot of times the window opened and then it just continued to close, or they just failed to capitalize.
1: Yeah, and what did you think of the offense as a whole? Um, I thought the they the continued to go back to running plays, you know, t- t- tosses to um, to get outside zone plays. Um, Running zone seems to be a bit more of a fruit, and they do they do have some some counter plays and stuff, and, and some power that they they've mixed in there. But predominantly, we're talking about this last week or after after Sunday, they run zone well, but don't do it enough. But actually, I thought Pet went to the the well enough times and and varied it. I thought with four tight ends on the on the feet or four, or, or active, mm-hmm. um, twelve thirteen personnel sets, tight tight formations, uh which kind of brought the Eagles to the line. Which actually I didn't think you know in theory would work, but actually it seemed to have. Um, some payoff. So I think. What did you think of the way Pep called the game? Because it certainly felt yeah. started fast. Got the first points in the opening opening uh, opening drive for the first time this year. I really liked a lot of it, and I'm with you uh, as far as the mix
0: of the runs. And I felt like uh, a lot of times, even earlier on the season, it felt like, okay, Damian Pierce is hitting, getting hit behind the line of scrimmage, and he's having to break a bunch of tackles to get any yards, or he's getting hit at the line of scrimmage and having to make a couple. I thought there was a couple times more than we normally see, and especially uh, surprising going up against a very good Eagles defense, where he was a few yards down the field before he's even getting touched, which means good run scheming, which means good run blocking and just opening things up for him. And 27 carries absolutely is, is what you're going to need. If, if you're going to win, you're going to have to do what you're going to do. You have to bring heavy sets. You're going to have to act like you're in goal line, even though you're on your own 20. Because, unfortunately, it is what it is. Davis Mills isn't some guy that you want out there slinging the ball 50 times and throwing a bunch. I also thought when, when he was throwing the ball, you're doing a lot of easier throws for Davis. Now he did make some good throws as far as like second and third reads, but I feel like coming off a of play action, one read, boom, run, pass option, one read, boom. If you can get him in a three, five step drop rhythm, I think that's when Davis Mills is, is going to be at his best and, and able to, to to maybe gain a little bit of confidence there. So as far as the mix, I liked it as far as the run game and, and heavy use of Damian Pierce. Uh, I'm a big fan of that as
1: well. Yeah. And I, I, I counted, I think at least four, of the the times they were forced to punt it was second and long second eight um second and eight second nine second and ten around that area and they run the ball and many times on those downs the eagles teed off on them effectively blitzed effectively it was almost like a run blitz if you like but um, also try and defend the pass um and those plays got blown up and you put this offense behind the chains um two four nine on third down uh last night that's just not going to cut it
0: no, you got to stay on schedule, and and I'm actually, I mean, second and eight running, I'm I'm actually okay with that because that's just your best chance to try to get five, six more yards and and get a little bit closer. And of course, mixing in the play action, mixing in some of the bootlegs, which they did, you got to do it at at the right times. But uh, it's it's tough to call the game, and you any play call that that Pep Hamilton is going to make can be successful as long as the players are able to execute, and and that just doesn't always happen. That's just the NFL, really.
1: Yeah, and I think I think just when he when he set up those obvious passing downs on third, all uh, all the sacks that they um, that they got um, from on the Phillies side like, all came from third downs. And I think it was just a, it, it was almost a predictability at times because it it was a, I thought I thought it was a good outing by the offensive line. I think Ag Can coming back in from Sunday showed his value. Tunsil's kind of taken his his uh, run block into a new level, looking like a man that wants paid. and <laughs> um, that's for sure. Um, and I think that the line dominated or certainly asserted themselves against a really good front early. And I think there was certainly some positive signs. But I think what happened, Ross, they faded late again, for whatever reason, um, I think Green Kenyon has had three bad weeks back to back in pass protection. Um, there was It was better early and run blocking. Uh, but him and Quisenberry up front got thrown around by uh, Javon Hargreaves. Three sacks, three TFLs. Uh, three-quarterback, hits and six tackles, a guy who is not in a big deal, 13 million a year, picked up in free agency, Like go by Pittsburgh, a really, really kind of ascending, you know, quality player right at his peak, uh, but he basically killed the game for them uh, late on, and yeah. and, kind of, and the offensive line failed, and I think it was a reminder of, Kenya's okay, got a long way to go, a lot of errors, um, and Quiz and Murray's, you know, probably not the answer at centre.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, Quisenberry was never supposed to be the answer at center, obviously, uh, with the whole Justin Brent situation. But, yeah, as far as Kenyon Green, uh, disappointing especially. Now, you, you spend a first-round pick on on a uh, interior lineman. That's uh, even though as late as they pick them you would expect him to kind of hold his own if you're going to, if you're going to spend that kind of draft capital on somebody. And of course his career is not over bad few weeks, whatever he can, he can even play the rest of the season, get off season, get stronger, get faster, all that type of stuff, but a little bit disappointing, but um, there's going to be growing pains. I mean, just making that jump from, from college to the, to the NFL and going up, like you said, Hargraves is one of the better interior guys that that you're, they're going to have to go up against. And, and he did not show well and he continues to not show well. And it's a little bit disappointing.
1: Any any concerns on Kenya? You know, I mean, I keep saying I do have them, um, and there was just even a small thing last night but he went off the field. And I think it was just for a cut, um, and he it was bleeding. I couldn't really see it properly on the camera. Yeah, the I think he was back.
0: bleeding, and then he went to the, um, right to the, the little yeah. blue, they got the blue tent out.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I just wonder if he's if if um, you know he's a uh, five star prospect, all this kind of stuff. Big high school recruiter of Texas goes to the Aggies. Um, get SEC uh, alignment get drafted high arguably drafted sometimes um, yeah. I just have a little bit of concern with his toughness um, and just when he's getting driven back right into the quarterback's lap for a guy of his size um, I just I worry at times if he's if he I think he's I think it's a byproduct of a missing time um, and he's got to get that functional playing strength up next season to, to you know to go up against these big three hundred pound DTs. Uh, but he's not far off that weight. Probably a different composition of muscle muscle mass um, weight to you know sort of a vet like Hargreaves. But I, I do start to have some concern when it's three games back to back and he's blown plays at big times. Uh, I'm a little bit concerned. But I know he's young and you want to get all the mistakes yeah. out now. But I think that's three games in a row where he's he's looked not just you know not justifying that fifteenth overall selection.
0: Yeah, at that point, not the, at this moment. Like I said, when you spend that kind of draft capital, you want almost like a plug and play guy. And one of the reasons they they mentioned uh, Nick Casario talked about is is drafting uh, him because he can play everywhere. And, all and of course, you want to play him in the interior long term and stuff like that. But uh, disappointing for sure. Not over. I think it's. As far as having him come in and hit the ground running and being like a Pro Bowl talent immediately, obviously that didn't happen. You were hoping for, uh, you know, the outside shot of that. So what you're going to hope is that he's going to be somebody who is going to struggle a little bit and then continue to grow into the role and and, and be a solid offensive lineman and maybe grow into a, a Pro Bowl type. That's what you want for for drafting an interior guy as high as they did, but obviously not not materializing at this point, but I still feel like he can be okay. Uh, I like his attitude. He seems like he's got a good work ethic and um, I think he will add strength and get better. And it, it may, it can, it can always be a shock to the system going to up against the, the best alignment in the world, which is what he's doing now, even though he was at the, at the sec level and concerned. Yes. Is his career over? Not yet. Of course. Yeah.
1: And what did you think of Davis's outing? Uh, I thought the, you know the the formula of I'm only um, passing it twenty two times is probably where you want to be. i um, only thirteen completions, hundred and fifty plus yards. Last night, obviously got the two touchdowns. Um, what did you think of? You know, there was certainly an emphasis in the broadcast about using his feet, which was a welcome addition. Got a couple of first downs out of it. Uh, made some plays. Um, there was one early, actually. I think if he just had kept breaking it to the outside, he would have got an early first down on that drive where he punted. But um, you know, I, I, does, it does it say it? Um, does it say anything more about Mills? Uh, where are you and your kind of view of Of the whole kind of uh, probably the biggest storyline of this season in terms of player evaluation. Yeah,
0: of course. I would say mixed bag um it wasn't horrible like he he was in the last game there was a couple of times where there were throws where I felt like he should make and he can be inaccurate even on I mean look you can miss throws like 30 40 yards down the field but I just even feel like those intermediate 10 to to 20 yard throws that he can be a little bit inaccurate and um but then there's sometimes where he looks on schedule and he makes throws and that's it, to me, he looks kind of like a guy who's going to be a backup. That's where he is right now, and because he can also make bad mistakes. And, and if you follow the script, if Damian Pierce is dominant, if you're running and you're doing a little bit of play action and asking him to only throw the, the ball uh, you know, 25, 30 max times a game, you can win with that guy, but you can win with a lot of guys like that. So What you're looking for is, of course, what we you'd call replacement level, and above that is Davis Mills above replacement level. I'm not really feeling that right now. I'm I know that there were a handful of throws that we could point from last year. You're like, okay, especially late in the season, you're like, oh, okay, that that was a pretty damn good throw. And I really don't feel like I've seen that. I mean, it's happened a couple times this year, and it happened. And I mean, he made a couple of nice throws last game too, but it just doesn't happen. Enough. You have to. It's about consistency. You know. I mean, what separates an elite anything, an elite quarterback, an elite cornerback, or whatever. Any cornerback can get a pass defended a couple times a game. It's about doing it consistently. Any quarterback can complete a few passes. It's about doing it consistently. And and we're not seeing enough consistency from him. And and it's really coming into the season. I didn't think that he was going to be like an all pro like some people did. But <laughs> I would say it's still been underwhelming. And to me, he feels like a a career backup right now.
1: Yeah, no, I think so, and I think it kind of felt like that was a very obvious outcome this year. I think what what I think I find frustrating is just the flashes, like when he rolls out that touchdown to Chris Moore, um, which you know, I'm yeah, glad that was I, a great play. Yeah, that was a great play. I think there was there was the thirty four yarder. Um, they dropped it over Bradbury um, to Philip Dorset to set up the first touchdown. Um, there was a busted coverage later on. He got another ball to to Dorset, and I I think. Yeah, the, the, there was there, there's pockets of good, but it, t- it tends to kind of arise and then fade. And I think, you know, you look at another zero sitting there in the fourth quarter, um, two bad interceptions at bad times. I don't really blame him for the first one. He's trying to make a play, but that one's going to get thrown away. He's got to be a bit smarter about it than that. Uh, but but what, what, I've, what I've found in the last three weeks, there was Brandon Cooks ran it uh, free in the end zone in Vegas, didn't see him. Um there was, you know, a really kind of obvious cover two play last week against um, Tennessee that, you know, at this stage in year two, if you can't spot the holes in, a, in, in the type of defense cover two zone that you see all the way through training camp, and that's how we play, we'll come on to that because that causes big problems last night. Um, if, if he's not seeing that like second nature to me, that's a big problem because, you know, the, the obvious gaps in the zone that that coverage leaves, you know, we're well versed in it because we're watching other teams do it to us. But if he can't see that, I find that that sort of mental processing element of it and then on the drive where he kicked the field goal last night um the the try the i think he threw an uh, incompletion to i think it was either Barker or dorset i can't remember it was a short guy uh but ultimately and i put a, a screenshot and and the clip of it at the time out Jordan Atkins runs right up, up the guts up between the two safeties. Easy touchdown. Nobody within five yards of him doesn't see him. There was a play like that against Tennessee um, on Sunday. Uh, guy wide open, hand in the air, doesn't see him. And I think, uh, you know, and then he throws a bad interception, which I don't know if it's a miscommunication. You don't know unless you're in a huddle. But I think no scores late, missing guys that are wide open, not understanding coverages. Yeah. Um, it's second it's and just, third reads, yeah. it feels like he struggles most. Yeah. It just feels like a combination of too many things that haven't developed in a way, and that's why you've seen, no, no, not any of this kind of outlandish progression that you know. Some some people would have loved to have seen And We'd all would have loved to have seen that, but I think yeah. there's just too many uh, elements of his game that inhibit him to be consistent. I think, and then when they all culminate, he's just that consistency just breaks down. Bad interceptions at bad times, and I think with the the first interception was probably the backbreaker. The second one just kind of sealed it. You know? Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah I agree. And then I think as well, which was really frustrating, you know, I think the Brevin Jordan not getting his feet down, uh, eight minutes to go driving, you know, they got the ball three times late in the game um, in a 12 point game. They could have scored um, Brevin Jordan because you get, you, they got that, um, that soft uh, 15 yarder for rough in the passer, which wasn't really one. Um, and then <laughs> Because uh, Brevin doesn't keep his feet in, you go in third down, sack, the line just starts getting cut up, like we said at the end. Um, and then he's, he's, he's desperate to hit a ball up the seam because they're playing a lot of zone. Um, and he throws a terrible interception and I don't know. And and he missed Brevin, Jordan wide open um, as well. And, you know, two drives at the end of the game, two wide open tight ends um, misses them. You're just not going to win games like that, particularly against a team that's not lost a game yet. No, yeah,
0: not a team like the Eagles where, I mean, like we've talked about, your margin for error is so low. So it just feels like sometimes he can press a little bit and try a little bit to do too much. We've seen it late in games with some bad, bad throws that he he had no business making. And he's still just a second-year guy, but I, I still feel like you're not seeing enough, enough of those good plays and good throws and wow plays to say this is some, something that you can mold into to a better franchise-level quarterback, or at least starting-level quarterback.
1: Yeah, what did you make of the kind of the, the no-name receiver cast? Um, Jalen Camp comes, comes and gets a great <laughs> catch on the sideline. Um, you know, Quintoriano gets a play. Because I think what I've criticism I've had a pep all year is, you know, you had uh, the other Johnson on the team. You know, give him a couple of plays. Just... Able to do that Um so I thought that was one one positive from last night was you know Jalen Camp comes in has a he's a big guy has a sideline catch you know like there's a specific role really simple straightforward roles for young guys who haven't played a lot of snaps that's the way you get them to be more productive but do you think any of the guys they're set I always think Chris Moore's kind of sneaky guy to have a good guy to have around is like your you know fourth or fifth receiver do you think any of those guys will be back next year because it definitely feels like man <laughs> um, could be an overhaul at that spot yeah, I, I
0: just feel like honestly, yeah, I think there should be an overhaul. I think you have a lot of a, a journeyman. You can see this is like what we talked about. You can see flashes, you can see guys make catches, you can see guys make tough catches. Everybody who makes an NFL roster is talented. But it's about that next level and being special or making special plays. And I, I see guys who can be practice goal guys who can come in when we're like a guy like Brandon cooks is out and maybe make a couple of catches, but not, I'm not seeing enough flashes enough for me to say that this guy has separated himself and, and absolutely has to be here next year. No. And in, 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 any, any of the lot, I mean, Dorsett can make some catches more, can make some catches. Like you said, camp had a nice catch, but I, I just need to see more. I need to see more.
1: Yeah. And um, just flipping to the other side of the ball, a guy who was catching the ball, who seemed to have, you know, at least five or six plays drawn out from his Dallas Goddard. um, You know, it was literally, you know, drawn out routes um, that would would just hit the holes of the cover too. And uh, there was a play they ran, I think it was in the the third quarter, um, and effectively, just because one, because the... Um, Jonathan Owens is down at the box because tavier Thomas is 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 blitzing off the edge or off the slot. Um, so they basically just attacked the space, and it was literally a, a screenplay designed exactly for that coverage. look to go and um to go and attack the space with uh, petrie being the, the deepest of the two safeties, and it just felt like they had so many routes. Um, that, that just were attacking the holes in cover two. Um, and yeah. I think when it's that obvious, my my big question is for Lovey is you know what is the hesitancy to adjust. When you're seeing it so blatantly, you know, I'm pretty much a layman. Never played the game. <laughs> Learn it just by watching um, as best I can. But you know, when it's blatantly obvious to me, that's how they're attacking you. What's What's holding them back making these adjustments? Because it makes his defense less competitive than it could be with a bit of imagination.
0: Yeah, and, and maybe just not trusting your your linebackers and coverage at that point. But the, to what you said about Goddard, it's also, I mean, and, and, and being zone busters, it's like that's what you're hoping you would have on your own end as far as tight ends. Like, I mean, we can think of like Travis Kelsey. Yeah, he makes a lot of great plays, but a lot of the plays that he makes are simple where he's on the same page with Pat Mahomes. And they're like, okay, we see the cover three, we see the cover two, and you're going to sit in this spot and it's going to be open. And that's what, that's what you need tight ends to do. And that's what they were doing against the Texans. And I just feel like that's something that, they haven't had like, like think of like Jason, like what did Jason Witten, especially at the end of his career, that dude was catching like 10 balls a game and he, you and I could probably beat him in a foot race. It's about being smart and knowing to find the right places. And, and I feel like that's something that was lacking on their side and something that Dallas got, Goddard did very well uh, against the Texans.
1: Yeah. hundred yards in a day, kind of really, uh, yeah. he was only on eight receptions, all of which Luke kind of schemed specifically for him to, to go and make them. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, when, it, when the, the holes in the zone and that gaping, I think, you know, teams will consistently attack. And I think until we find a new philosophy on that side of the ball, it was it's probably not going to be. But I thought it was quite a flashy day. Four sacks, seven TFLs, about uh, five quarterback hits. It was, you know, in terms of kind of entertainment on defence, it was pretty good. Now, he's still giving up, you know, 130, 140 yards on the ground. I don't think we'll we'll be able to stem that tide this year just with the... the uh, personnel we've got out of there but i think it says a lot about where they are with the front i thought because your two starters were kurt heinish and Lou johnson who's only been here a week
0: yeah um as far as yeah i didn't i mean jerry hughes was uh pretty good obviously really he is- came alive
1: I, I don't know and I, I, when a guy that age why do you i mean like, he's been terrible for the last couple of weeks but then you know has a big day i, I i'm not sure what you put that down to
0: yeah i, I don't know It's. Just, I'm- it's more of what we talked about. Is as far as the word. I think the word
1: consistency
0: is is the word of the day for the Texans because you can see flashes. They can score points. They scored some opening points which they hadn't done, and and then just cons- consistently doing it and continuing to do it is just been such a difficult thing for them to find. And yeah, you look at like the final sets. Like you were saying, they they kind of limited them somewhat. They did give some on the rushing, but I mean, you you got out gained like three three sixty to three hundred or whatever it was. That's a lot better than what the Texans have been doing lately. So from that standpoint, they were kind of in this game. They didn't look like they didn't belong on the field with the Eagles, but they the Eagles just made enough plays at the right times, and the Texans weren't able to to answer in kind.
1: Yeah, and uh, of the rookies on defense, Petrie, Stingley, Harris. Any observations? Any thoughts on these guys at this stage? Kind of, you know, you're learning by the week. Harris is still a little bit early on in the journey, but where you are with those three. Yeah, I
0: like uh I like Jalen Petrie a lot. I think I like his aggressiveness. I like his ability to tackle. Of course, he can be in the wrong place at the wrong time sometimes. Um Derek Stingley, I like him. I think Derek Stingley is going to grow in. Now, of course, a lot of like Sauce is getting a lot of the the um the run, and he's been really good and probably better than Derek Stingley has right now. But I think we've seen enough from Stingley to say, okay, I- I'm not gonna say the Texans have have missed on that pick just yet. Um, flashes enough. And who was the third one you said? uh christian harris yeah um oh christian harris yeah he he had a few tackles um does he look a little slight of build to you i like him to beef up
1: yeah i i I don't know i think there's an element of he's got speed so you don't want to like you you know because you look at raquan smith i think when we played him this year versus when we played him in 2020 when when they uh they just play action the hell out of it and uh with uh, Mitch Trubisky and that was a terrible game but I remember him playing then and I thought yeah he's a hell of a linebacker we played him this year looked a bit more heavy a little bit slow so I think you know and obviously the Ravens didn't see an issue right. in that but I think you've, you've got to you yeah you've got to hone you, you don't want to slow him down but yeah no there is an element of yeah, I think he's going to have to just get better at technique to beat. Like, because you see Jalen Petrie, you know, diving under Lyman's arms to to go meet the ball carrier. I think he's just going to have to smarten up and just get the play clock in his head up to that speed. And I know when he came in, he was kind of, you know, I've been at Bama. You know, this is, uh, this is kind of, this is okay for me. But I think, yeah, there is a, there is definitely, and particularly in a position whereby if he's, you know, if we're, if we're in, um, if we're in nickel sets, um and he's, and he's only got christian kirk sit there he's not got a lot of help um so i think there's a there's an element of you know the alignment of the two linebackers at times never seems to be or when it's three they never seem to quite be in unison or quite clearly correlated on whose gaps who and where they should be and what angle they should attack the the ball carrier or the or the quarterback at so i think yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot going on there um but i think there's flat there was a couple of flashes great tackle uh, open field tackle um, i mean he was kind of let through but i mean you could argue that was the, the speed that got him there so yeah i think it's it's an interesting one and petrie's kind of had another decent game uh but i think when you're tight end uh, or you or you're you're roasted by a tight end predominantly against safeties um but I think Jonathan Owens has showed that he's he's too much of a liability and covers to be a starting safety, and I think he's kind of got to that point now where will and tackler he's you know and he's getting lots of tackles, but you know your safety's being again leading your team with tackles is a is a is a uh, that's not good. No, never it's, good. It's a uh, it's an indictment. Of your, it's an indictment of your front seven. Absolutely, and I, <laughs> and I think all those guys could be replaced. Every single one of them, I think, and that's that's the task um yeah. lying ahead in terms of college. Also, any guys have you got any guys that you've you've watched on Saturdays this year that you'd like to see the tick or or any opinions on the, the top yeah. sort of top five guys, you know, or anything like that? Do you any uh any names for us?
0: Uh, I mean I guess we're we can just talk about the the headlining quarterback. So the, the Bryce Youngs, the, I'm not huge as, as far as like a C.J. Stroud, as far as I, I feel like he has some limitations passing, um, but I'm not somebody who breaks down a ton of college film. Uh, Will Levis, of course, Hendon Hooker thought of as a quarterback. I would say Bryce Hooker, pro, I mean, uh, Bryce Young, probably number one on my radar. It would be really funny if Will Anderson of Alabama is I would first of all, Will Anderson is a great player and if you took him number one that'd be great but in the Texans history right you have 2002 there wasn't really a franchise quarterback at the top when the Mario Williams draft there really wasn't a quarterback even though a lot of Houstonians wanted Vince Young in the top of the draft and you end up taking JD Clowney if it happens again I mean that would be bad luck to get the first pick again and there's not a franchise quarterback Yet, I, I don't know that Bryce can say for sure that Bryce Young is a is a franchise quarterback. And we don't know that the Texans are going to get the number one overall pick. I mean, Panthers and what line? Oh, I guess Panthers got to win. But the Lions and other teams still vying for that as well. But I, I would just, I want a quarterback. That's for sure. I, I I know that because you just keep it simple. Most pos- most important position on the field. There are a handful of guys and hopefully Nick Casario can do his evaluations, find the right ones, whatever it's going to be. So, yeah, I, I would say I would hope they go quarterback. And then if you're saying the best quarterback, I think right now that's Bryce Young.
1: Yeah, no, I hope so. I, and it's, it's, yeah, I think he's, yeah, I, I kind of went back and forth and then, you know, the sort of trusted opinions that I've listened to. I think, yeah, Bryce Young, you know, if you are sitting there number one, as you said, the history, of it all, always taking, uh, you know, edge rushers and some, you know, and Mario Williams was a good edge rusher and it just, the fact he was, he was surpassed by JJ and it, you know, it, it itself. Well, just in the same way that, you know, you got the end years of Dre and a hop, you know, and I think so, is there, you know, if you're sitting first, can you afford not to take one at that value? <laughs> because even if the team improves slightly this year, which you've got to hope that it's gonna, um, then uh then because we'll come on to that wider piece because i had an interesting sort of series of twitter exchanges just in prior to the game um I'll get your opinion on but yeah i think when you're in that number one i think you're going to have to take a guy like that so hopefully um it's it's gonna it's gonna fall in a way and it's a lot of it's luck right but at the same time it's uh, it's definitely something that you want to you know you want to you want to solidify your roster, but at the same time, you don't want to put hang a guy out to dry, and I think that's that's just a very very fine balance that they're trading. The Browns are on a bye week this week. I'm just checking that, so we'll find out where they go. But um, yeah, we need to try to win a game if that's going to be the case, or you know, it might might work out the better if we get an edge rusher worthy. So on this, so last week, Ross, we recorded on Monday the trade. Uh, sorry, the trade deadline was on Tuesday. Brandon Cooks did not get traded reportedly in the media from various, you know, talking heads uh, that get fed lots of nice information by agents. Report that the Casera was holding out for a second and a fourth. Um, yes. It felt a little bit punchy. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's- Especially when you get to, I understand you want to hold, you don't want to set precedent to where you come off of your, your stance where you are. And then in future years or future off seasons or whatever, you want to be known as somebody who's going to make a stand, draw a line in the sand and say, I am willing to uh, not back off of that. That actually has value. I feel like in, in later times, I, And and so, and Nick Casario knows more than about football personnel than me, but it seems a little wild that you would demand a second and a fourth, of course, considering the contract of Brandon cooks and all the money that he would command. And the fact that, I mean, they're confusing him with a number one receiver, you know, the the Jamar chases, the Justin Jefferson, the Cooper cup, the whoever else. So yeah, I, I am a little surprised that they didn't move on from him because the next time the Texans are really good I don't think Brandon Cooks is going to be a factor so me personally I would have moved them I understand the having to put a put a certain level of value on your player and not back off of that but a little bit of stubbornness from Casario in my opinion and and you just need as much draft capital as you can you can accrue especially
1: like I said for somebody who's not going to be here the next time you're good yeah I think for me I think when you look at a second and a fourth when you got him for a second um, arguably, right. he's been worse on the field. That tape is only, you know, if unless it takes a sudden spike and he, he kind of buckles right. down. Because ultimately, if you didn't want to be a brand, you should never sign the contract. And you didn't, you know, you didn't balk when you got the sixty million signing bonus. Um, somebody was going to have to pay that 18 million that you're doing guarantees next year. So therefore, you were going to have to maybe you know take a reduced deal or something. And they were, I think, they were they were open to reworking the deal. But certainly, Houston, tight cap space, etc. Um, not really in a position to kind of. Uh, consume that um, or certainly don't want to because we're the, ke- the kings of the dead cap, uh hit right now so the for me i think the value is probably only going to go down you know can you with another you know eight or nine games of, of bad film is that going to get you more than a second or you know say there was offering a third and a fifth right right uh, which I, you know personally if somebody had offered that you know maybe hold out to the end see if you can squeeze something else out maybe yeah. a player back or something um but I, I, it's hard to see that value being any incrementally better than what was on offer. Now, ultimately, if he doesn't want to be here, um, and it was Caserio's first big contract that he's given out in terms of guarantees, um, unless you count, obviously, tons of signing bonus con- conversions, then, you know, I think it was a it seems like a lot's gone wrong really quickly now. I don't know if the Grugier Hill exit and people think, you know, the agents can can demand and he will cave. Um, obviously that comes off of the Jack Easterby stuff and it all seems very murky, but I, I struggle to, to kind of fathom how you've gone from signing a, a, a deal, a two year extension, which was a decent market rate considering his historical tape, he's been nowhere near it, you know, being top sort of three or four in receivers in drops this year, lost your momentum on drives at big times, not looked particularly interested walking off the field, no kind of consultation with these kind of, you know, quarterback after a failed play, etc. Um, so I don't know how we've got from signing that, you know, talking about culture guy leading that to a guy who's basically throwing his toys at the pram and wasn't playing last night.
0: Yeah, it's it's just a bizarre situation, and it felt like the perfect opportunity to get rid of him for for all those reasons you have. You see, he seems disgruntled. Seems like he doesn't want to be here. He has some value, probably as high a value as he's going to have. And I mean, didn't even play last night. So how is that going to drive his value up for teams that want to, that could be interested in him in the off season? It's not going to. So seemed like the absolute perfect time to get rid of him,
1: but he's here. Yeah, and I, and I think that kind of I went back to that, or I sort of laid out a list yesterday of stuff, and uh, and it definitely got a lot of impressions and a lot of comments, and and everybody's really quick to say, you know, Casario inherited a mess, and look, I've never really been a Casario fan. I've not been under. I've not. I've not seen the plan. I don't know where he's going. I don't know what the <laughs> timelines are. I don't know any. I, like he's just not. It all seems like very here and now. Um, I think the, the salary cap management's been been woeful. Um, you know, fifty. You know, if you, even if you if you. Uh, if you absolve him of the Watson stuff, because it's not really his fault, and if you absolve him of the Cobbs and Cook, uh, sorry, Cobbs and uh, and Roby trades, because he got something back from them. So, okay, fair enough. Put them on one side. There's still $49 million of players who are either, okay, did you sign them all? No, but a lot of them are vets like Pharaoh Brown, Britt, Grugier Hill, all three, four million a piece um, that you've brought back that you knew, you knew what they were. So, and th- there does need to be vets, and he has moved to, to younger players this year, but we're paying a lot of guys that aren't here um, we're paying a lot of guys that are you know not not uh not contributing and it feels like we've spent a lot of money on known commodities and bad commodities at that on penny stocks whatever you want to call it and we've not that, you know we've not taken enough routes like a like a Stephen Nelson or a Des King you know Malik Collins there's been small pockets of success but the free agency hasn't built enough core for this team to be competitive and the margin for error is so small that it just feels like this team is kind of treading water for a second consecutive year now I know the coaching stuff is you know a lot of people are saying you know these last two coaches have been thrust upon him so until he hires his own man uh, for the longer term, then, you know, you can maybe judge them then, and this off-season is going to be really big, but I, I think it's fair to say that the progress of this rebuild versus your peers, you know, your Detroits, uh, your Atlantas, etc., they seem to be kind of getting it right and just like making it a bit more interesting on a Sunday, and I, I, I think you can you can give all the context and all the, all the excuses you want, but ultimately, on the controllables things haven't moved in a, in, a, in a manner that I think is acceptable right now and I don't know where the ownership is with that but I don't know what your thoughts on Casario are but I just, I'm just i just not seeing enough to, to, yeah. to, to make me trust where, where it's going to be in two or three years time
0: I think, I mean, I think the plan is to kind of be what he's doing. He's signing a lot of one year, two year deals. He's going to see if he can hit on some of those. Uh, Like you said, the Steven Nelson's. I mean, Jerry Hughes has no future here, but it's been a nice signing. He's been disappearing, but he's also been pretty good getting some sacks and stuff like that. And, And then build through the draft. And that's, I think this coming up, this past draft was a big one for them. So far, early returns aren't great. Stingley's okay. Kenyon Green, eh. I mean, the John Metchie situation, there's nothing you can do about that, obviously. Christian Harris has been heard, and then now he's looking okay. So mixed bag for sure in his first draft. And then now you've got another big draft coming up where you have not only your own pick, you have your Cleveland pick. But I think it's a bunch of short-term deals. Don't want to spend in free agency because you're not going to be good the next couple years. And you're in capital anyways because of all these other uh, dead money uh, things that you have going on. And so I, I feel like, I mean, I get it, but it's also like, man, how long is this going to take? I don't see the end of the tunnel right now, yeah. uh, but hopefully if they get a franchise quarterback, then that's when then things can start turning around for them in this yeah. upcoming draft.
1: Because I, I think people, and I, I listen to Texans cap and shout to Troy, it always kind of helps me out with my questions around this. But like, um, you know, he laid it out very, very succinctly that ultimately, we don't have a lot of cap space next year. Our effective cap space pre-cuts, are 20 million. And I was going back and forth with a couple of guys and they were saying, look, like, you're getting up, you know, you're complaining about 15 million here, but, or there are about guys that, you know, effectively debt, you know, wasted money. Um, and I, my point is, I think we've spent a lot of money on, on guys that aren't good. We're not carrying that money over to when it actually matters. And we're, yeah. you know, we're filling holes, but with really, you know, with really expensive cement for yeah. for it just to be grey, you know. And I think that's that's what I, I struggle with, because it's like, OK, sign these guys in one or two year deals, but do it at value, don't do it above market rate. And like, there's a big reputation element there, but I think when you're hindered by spending just to fill out the roster, because we've got less than 40 players under contract next year, um, with only some 40 million space, and you're going to have a big draft class, so it's going to cost you about 9 or 10 million just to fit, um, to service those year one deals. Um, there's not going to be much left, you know, uh, without, you know, clearing out guys. So um, hopefully it's more youth, and you, you don't mind seeing young players make mistakes and fail, but when you're watching kind of, you know, your, your run-of-the-mill vet... <laughs> nobody's benefiting the guy's not benefiting because he shouldn't be in the league we're not benefiting because the product underfields it and you're probably hindering a potential you know snap count for a younger guy so yeah i struggle with it i i I want us to be good i just want to start winning again i want it to make it feel like it means something on a (laughs) sunday or a thursday or a monday night imagine having a monday night game imagine having a team that's interesting enough to put on that slate you know and i think (laughs) that's where we need to get back to but i feel like halfway through season two of Casario I know and he's a beacon of hope for a lot of the fan base you're not allowed to say anything bad about him because he is you know he's the uh he's the the caretaker of you know of the harmed and uh people are still raw from all the stuff they've been put through by this club but yeah I just don't feel like I think he talks about better game than he delivers to this stage and I, I want to see progress but yeah there's there's nothing to really hang his hat on I think to this point
0: yeah I, I would agree, that for the most part. I mean, I don't even know what we, what we say is the best move. Just getting
1: rid of Deshaun Watson. Um, I don't even think that was great because I think you and I could have got the same return. You know, you get three first, <laughs> okay? Yeah, that's the baseline. Yeah, you know, it was it was it three no. seconds? Was it three thirds? No, it was a third, a fourth, and a fifth or something like that. So right, yeah, you know,
0: a, yeah, a couple a couple of small free agent moves that we mentioned. Other than that, I mean, it's been hasn't
1: been a whole lot to, to cheer about as far as Nick Casario moves for sure. Yeah. And 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 I just wonder how long do you think you know? And you saw um, Easter be going out the building and all that kind of stuff that went around that. Um, that yeah. was direct from ownership. If he's ha- if was, had two coaches forced upon him, which seems to be a general sentiment, um, which makes sense because you know why the hell would you hire these two guys? Uh, one, <laughs> was it, one was one was an emergency break glass <laughs> move. Uh, one was uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll never. I don't think we'll ever be able to explain David Culley off to anybody succinctly. Um, but how long does ownership, or you know, particularly, and it's not it's not yeah. Mister, it's Mrs. that's um, it's potentially a poking yeah. for change, I think, and I think everybody's aware of that. But how long does how long does the current state be accepted before head role? Yeah, I I
0: would want. I think it'll be a little bit. I think it'll be a couple seasons. I think. Uh... Like you said, I mean, the, yeah, the David Cully hiring, we don't even, I don't even know where that came out of. And <laughs> yeah. the Lovey Smith, like you said, that's a good way to put it. The, uh, in case of emergency, higher level Lovey Smith. So I, I don't know. Um, but I would say he's probably going to get at least a couple more seasons.
1: Yeah. No, I think so. And we'll see if Lovey's back. I assume he will be, um, because we're, you know, another year to tread in water and hoping for moves. But I think, yeah, I think people, there was some predictions of, uh, wildcard berth uh next year but i think people need to uh wait a little longer for that but it's certainly not to take away from a gutsy performance from the players um was a far improved product but um but ross thank you very much for your time i really appreciate this being good uh let's do this again sometime all Um, right let me know yeah thanks for having um, me thanks for having us hopefully um we'll be celebrating a world series um victory in this town at some point over the next saturday and so, or the next two days as we're sitting here on friday so go astros um i'll be watching saturday definitely can't wait to see it because i, I was i was in austin the night they won it last time and i was in houston okay. for the parade and it was yeah it was an experience that lived me for the rest of my life and I, you All see right, what it cool. means to the city and stuff so yeah i'd love yeah. to see it again so uh i'll be rooting for them um and uh, hopefully we'll get some success because i think some some people need it in um, these, uh, these troubled times. So, uh, for, so Ross, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for right. listening to the Turn Up For What podcast again this week. Thank you. And we'll be back a week on Monday to talk about a trip to New York. So we'll catch you then.